Galatians 1, 6 through 20. There is only one good news. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God. We called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I am not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source, and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then, three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I'm writing to you is not a lie. Amen. Any of you remember this ad? It's the real thing. Coke said. Coke claimed the title of the real thing. And they run this ad to set themselves apart from their competitors because they claim that the competitors are the imposters. They aren't the real Coke. Pepsi isn't the real thing. Coca-Cola is. There's no comparison to the real thing. The real thing is the best thing. You know, we don't like to be deceived. That's why we read the labels and the ingredients on our food. We want to know what additives and ingredients are in our food. Mm, well, actually, sometimes we don't mind those additives. They make our food look better. Sometimes they make our food taste better. And so even though it might be worse for our overall health, we kind of like the here and now taste and look of our food. 
And so we're willing to sacrifice whatever is put in our food, whatever additives are put in. See, we're willing to sacrifice the real thing. We're willing to sacrifice the pure thing for what feels good in the moment. And that's why Paul's writing this letter to the Galatians. Because the Galatians were allowing spiritual additives into the purity of the gospel, such that the gospel was no longer the real thing. Paul says, it's no gospel at all. So Paul's writing them to remind them of the real thing. Did you forget the real gospel, he says to them. And so what he does is he begins by defining the gospel for them. He starts right in his greeting in verse 4. He says, Jesus gave his life for our sins. Just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. You see, the word rescue implies that someone needs help. Because you only rescue people who are lost. You only rescue people who need help. That's us. Every one of us needs a rescuer because we're helpless and we're lost. Last month, we studied what made Jesus unique against all the other religious leaders throughout history. Other religious leaders, they came to teach. Teach us how to live a good life. How to be the best me I could be. That's what religious leaders did. But Jesus came to rescue. He came on a rescue mission, not a teaching plan. Sure, Jesus was a great teacher. But that isn't why he came. He came to rescue. He came to save. Let's say you're walking down a road. In Florida, there's water everywhere. And so you're walking by a body of water, and as you look over there, you see someone flailing about in the water. Help me, help me, I I can't swim. I'm drowning. So what are you going to do? Are you going to throw them a manual on how to swim? Are you going to teach them in that moment? Here, take this. This will help you. No, it won't. What you're going to do is you're going to jump in the water and save them. And once you rescue them, once you save them, then you'll give them a book on how to swim. Maybe you should learn how to swim. But you have to rescue them first. See, Jesus was first a rescuer, and he was a savior because that is what we needed. We can't save ourselves. So Jesus came to do what we couldn't. Paul says Jesus gave his life for our sins. He made a sacrifice that was substitutionary in nature. And that is what makes the gospel so revolutionary. You see, Jesus' sacrifice wasn't just a way for us to have a second chance at getting things right. Jesus did all that we needed to do but couldn't. Jesus took our place. Jesus paid our debt 
for our sins. And he did it out of grace. Not because of anything we've done, but just because it was the will of God. Jesus' mission to rescue us was the will of God. And it is by sheer grace that we've been saved. That is why God alone gets the glory forever and ever. If we had anything to do with our rescue, or if God had seen something in us that was worthy of being rescued, or if our own understanding and reasoning, we had come to God saying, save me, save me, because I can do this. Then we'd be full of pride. We'd say, wow, look what I did. I saved myself. We'd pat ourselves on the back, because that's the human thing to do. But the real gospel, the biblical gospel says, no, look what God did. That's the real thing. Because the real thing says that our salvation from first to last is all God's work. It is his desire. It is his calling, his plan, his action, his work. Therefore, he gets the glory. That's really the humbling truth that's at the heart of Christianity. It's the center of the gospel. Our problem is that we like to be our own saviors. We like to manufacture glory for ourselves. So we find the messages of self-salvation really attractive. See, religion will tell us if we do this, or, or if you do this, Or if you do that, you're going to earn God's blessings. Read your Bible every day. Go to church every Sunday. Pray, pray, pray. You do those things, God will bring a blessing. That's not what the Bible says. The world will even tell us to chase our dreams. Make things happen. There's good stuff for you out there. Just grab a hold of it. You make it happen. Or this favorite, God helps those who help themselves. Not true. Not true. It's not anywhere in the Bible at all. In fact, the gospel turns that saying upside down. The gospel says, you are in such a hopeless position, you need a rescue that has nothing to do with you. God helps those who can't help themselves. That's what he says. That's the message of grace. It's the real thing. That is the biblical gospel. But the leaders in the Galatian churches, they were trying to add to it. The Jewish leaders were telling the Gentile Christians that they couldn't be saved unless they obeyed the works of the law. And that meant circumcision. That meant following the dietary restrictions. 
That meant being a part of the religious ceremonies, the clothes they wore, the way they dressed. And Paul's reprimanding them because they're adding to what Jesus has already done. And by adding to what Jesus has already done, they've tried to make another gospel, an imposter gospel, that ultimately, Paul says, is no gospel. If we had anything to Jesus as a requirement for acceptance by God, Paul says, it isn't gospel at all. It's not even another gospel because there's only one gospel. The gospel of Christ. The gospel of grace. What Paul was dealing with in Galatia still impacts us today, even 2,000 years later. People are still trying to change the gospel. People are still trying to make mere imposters of the real thing. So how can we tell the real thing from the imposters? Because the real thing always starts with God. Because the real thing always points to God for his glory. And because the real thing will always draw us closer to God. Paul uses his own life as an example of what the real gospel looks like. If you remember, Paul was a man who had done some terrible things. He starts out saying in verse 13, You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion. How I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. See, when Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he had already killed many innocent people. And he was on the way to arrest and imprison even more. He was filled with hate. And yet Paul was also a man who had done many religious deeds and had followed the religious laws spectacularly. He spent years seeking to live according to Jewish customs and traditions. Yet he wasn't right with God. If he was, Jesus wouldn't have appeared to him. Before his conversion, Paul was a great religious rule keeper. But he wasn't saved by Christ. But God, in his amazing grace, stepped in to reveal himself to Paul. And then called him to preach the good news. Paul's testimony is a witness to the heart of the gospel. Grace upon grace upon grace. See, the gospel that Paul talks about in his own experience started with God. It didn't start with him. And it points back to God. And it drew Paul closer to God. Paul's story is a clear example that the gospel is about salvation by grace. Grace. Not through moral work. Not through religious work. 
though Paul calls himself the worst of the worst sinners, he was invited in to fellowship with God. Paul's story reminds us that no one is so good that they don't need the grace of Jesus. Paul's story also reminds us that no one is so bad that the grace of Jesus can't reach them. Paul was deeply religious, but he still needed the grace of Jesus. He was also deeply flawed, but he was always within the reach of Jesus. C.S. Lewis once said, Christianity and the gospel, it has to be from God. Who else could have made it up? Nobody. It makes no sense. And then Paul looks back over his life. He recognizes that God's grace was working in his life long before Jesus was revealed to him. In verse 15, he says, But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus. You see, Paul recognizes that God's grace had been shaping him and preparing him all his life for the things that God was going to call him to do later. Just think how awesome this is. Paul had been resisting God and doing so much just bad stuff, wrong stuff. And yet God was overruling all of Paul's intentions and using his experiences, even what we would call failures, to prepare him for the work that he was going to do for God, which was to preach the good news. All of that Old Testament knowledge, all of the zeal, all the training, all the effort that Paul was using to oppose God and to try to defeat the church. It was all being used by God to shape Paul and equip him to be God's instrument in the gospel. Wow! If that's not grace, if that's not love, wow! God had been working all along to use Paul to establish the very faith that he was fighting against. That's grace. It's the same theme that we see throughout the Bible. Joseph tells his brothers that despite all their efforts to reject him, all their efforts to kill him, God had another plan. God was using the opposition to establish Joseph as an instrument to save the Jews from starvation. The apostles in Acts chapter 4 insisted that the people who tried to oppose Jesus only served to further God's purposes. This is what they said. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate the governor, and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus. 
your holy servant whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. God uses everything. Everything. All opposition to God will be seen in the end as having done nothing but confirm his work and further his plans. He is sovereign, and his grace reigns. And that's the real thing. C.S. Lewis relates a story in his book, Surprised by Joy. He tells of a school teacher that he had who was a furious debater and a logical thinker. But he was also an atheist. And he sought to teach Lewis how to build a case and make a strong argument for his unbelief. But years later, when Lewis became a Christian, it turned out that this atheist teacher had actually prepared Lewis very well to be one of the greatest offenders of the Christian faith in the 20th century. Whatever you are going through right now, whatever feels difficult, know that God is using it for something further down, even though you can't see it. Because the true gospel, the real thing, what it does is it gives us these goggles to look back over our life and see what God was doing how he was preparing us, how he was shaping us and molding us to become instruments of his grace in this world. Why did he choose Paul? Why does he choose us? There's nothing in us that's worthy of him looking down to save us. Nothing. He chooses us simply because it pleases him. You know, Moses told the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 7, he said, The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations. Because you were the smallest of the nations. He says, rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you. God doesn't love us because we're worthy of it or because we're serviceable and we can go out and do all his work. He loves us simply because he loves us. It is the only kind of love that you will ever be secure in. It is the only love that you can never lose. That's grace. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a real thing that saves sinners like us and saves sinners like Paul. God reveals Jesus both to the proud and the evil. He proves himself to the religious and the irreligious. He's at work in his people even before he saves them. to bring them to faith, and to equip them to serve him. But the awesome thing is that the grace of the gospel doesn't stop right there. Grace continues to work in us 
and work through us. The true gospel, the real gospel, the real thing, it changes us. Paul begins his testimony in verse 10 by saying this, Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I wouldn't be Christ's servant. See, the gospel of grace removes this man-pleasing spirit from us. It replaces that spirit with its opposite. So we have no need to win or seek human approval. The true gospel, the real thing, produces confident and fearless followers of Jesus doing what is right in the eyes of God without concern for approval from others. Paul says, I couldn't be a servant of Christ if I was looking to please people. The dangers of people pleasing are clear in Scripture. Proverbs 29.25 says, Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord, that's safety. See, when we fear people, we hold them and their opinions up here. We elevate their importance over God. Our desire for people's approval and blessing puts them in a place of adoration and worship. When we seek to please people over God, we're placing them in a place where God is only allowed. That's the place of God, not others. That's the opposite of the real thing. See, the gospel of grace destroys this people-pleasing attitude in us because it frees us and motivates us to seek and win the approval of our Father. In the gospel, we discover that trusting in Jesus brings God's full and complete favor and approval. See, when God sees a believer, he sees Jesus. And he says to us, with you, I am well pleased. Let that sink in. God is pleased with us. In the gospel of grace, the creator of the universe, he looks at you and says, I am pleased with you. Wow. And because God is pleased with us, we can then live in ways that please him. Think of it this way. Imagine a father watching his son play baseball for the team that he coaches. And as he sits in the dugout, he loves his son. He loves him fully and completely. But if his son forgets his instructions and strikes out, it's not going to change the father's love for him or his approval of his son. He's still going to love him and approve of him. And the son is assured of the father's love regardless of how he performs. But the son will still long to hit that home run. Not for himself. Not to gain his father's love, 
but for his father because he's already loved. He wants to please his father. You see, if this young man, this son, if he doesn't know that his father loves him, then he's going to try to hit that home run for himself because he's trying to gain that love from his father. But because the son knows his father already loves him, his efforts are for the father, not for himself. That's the difference. See, the real thing, the real gospel of grace has us doing stuff to please our Father, not to gain his love, not to gain his approval. It's to give back for what he's already done. It's the difference between the real thing and the imposter. See, believers are assured of God's love. We are assured of his approval. God is pleased with us in Jesus. And so we long to obey our Father, not for ourselves, not so that God will love us, not so that he will approve of us, but out of our gratitude for the one who we know has already saved us. See, God's approval liberates us to live in a way that God approves of. See, the true gospel is both a powerful assurance and a powerful motivation for us. We don't live God's way in order to become his children. But out of gratitude for the fact that we are already his children. The question for us today, are we having our faith in the real thing? the real gospel of grace? Or are we trying to add to it? Does our faith begin with God? Does our faith bring God glory? Does it bring us closer to God? Because there's no comparison to the real thing. Jesus is the real thing. And the real thing is the best thing. That's the gospel of grace. You are loved. You are approved of. You are pleasing God just for who you are. You strive to give back, not to gain his approval. That's the real thing. Find your refuge in that. Find your peace, your joy, and your comfort in that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Paul, who you saved even though he was bad by the world's standards. Lord, His testimony is an example that we can never be good enough, but we can also never be bad enough. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. If there's anyone in this place, Father, that is struggling 
to know you. Father, reveal yourself to them. Father, we pray that their eyes, their heart is open to see Jesus, the real thing. Lord, as we leave this place, may we bring the real thing out beyond these walls into the world so the world sees a difference between the real thing and the imposters. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. In his holy and precious name, amen.